10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Belts, Avery for three, hits, cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. And we welcome you in to the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you following an A-State home weekend, an A-State home win. The football team able to come back to Centennial Bank Stadium on Saturday and pick up a big victory after three straight weeks on the road, defeating ULM by the final count of 45-28. to 13th consecutive win <laughs> over the Warhawks. At some point, that streak it will. has to end, but... It sure was fun watching the Red Wolves keep it going. Yeah, and this one, well, <laughs> based on what I saw of it, or can tell I me, mean, I saw the whole thing, but, you know, I mean, it always felt kind of comfortable, right? I mean, it was never a blowout. It was a good competitive game, but there was also really, once it got going, there was never a point where I thought, oh, gosh, we might lose this game. It just felt like we just had it, and then if that was in doubt, then – you know, Johnny Lang erased that, I would say, with a kickoff return. There were some question marks coming into the game, and a lot of it based off the conference opener the week before at Old Dominion. Kevon Bennett didn't play in that game at defensive end. We were missing Champ Flemings and Tavalence Hunt in the receiving core. Jeff Foreman didn't finish that game. And then, you know, Jordan Rhodes, T.W. Ayers were also beat up. Everybody was a question mark <laughs> going in, but... Everybody that I just mentioned ended up playing on Saturday, which kind of shows you that when this team is fully healthy, they can be pretty darn good. And and, and you still did, even with that said, like they might have all gotten out there, but we still haven't seen healthy T Hunt and healthy Champ Flemings on the field at the same time together. I mean, there's still another place for this offense to go to when that happens. Tavalence was a little bit healthier than Champ was the other night. Champ was limited in practice throughout the week. He did practice some on Thursday, but Tavalence Hunt had practiced all week. You knew that he was going to be able to go. Now, Champ did have a couple of catches, but he still wasn't mm-hmm. all the way back yet. It's a different receiving core, though, with Tavalence Hunt. And it was shown on the very first scoring drive. Ryan Hash, trips are split out to the left. That's Foreman, Flemings, and Hunt. Blackman throws left side, caught to Valence Hunt with the touchdown. And A-State is on the board first with 6.21 remaining in the opening quarter. That capped that opening scoring drive, and Tavalence finished with the team high six catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. A little bit later on in the first quarter, the only takeaway of the night ended up happening on special teams, which special teams was phenomenal across <laughs> the board for the Red Wolves on Saturday. And there's a reason there was a fumble on this. It was a muff punt by ULM's Boogie Knight, and A-State ended up recovering at the 28-yard line of the Warhawks. Now, there was a different punter than what we've seen this year on that play. William Pristop, who started nine games at Nebraska last year, punted for the first time this season. He's a left-footed punter. And when Coach Jones and I sat down to do the TV show on Sunday, I said, well, do you think 
the spin of that ball coming off the foot of a, a left-footed punter had anything to do with it. He said it was 100% the reason why the punt was muffed. So there you go. You've got somebody else that can come in and do that. And then Dominic Zavada able to hit from 46 yards out. He's now 7 of 7 on his field goal attempts this year. And it's not just chip shots for him. Three of his makes are from 45 or more. He's also got one from 44. So, you know, in the fourth quarter, right, there was fourth quarter, I think, where, you know, Arkansas State had a fourth down or so. It had been it was on somewhere around the 34-yard line or so. And we called a timeout, right, and set up what to do. That's kind of interesting. I, look, you end up going for it, picking up the first down, and that's awesome. But I'd like to... <laughs> I'm ready to see the, the kid get a chance to go from 50 or 51. Well, we're told his range is up to 62. So, yeah, I would think he'd be comfortable going out there and trying one from 50 or 51. After ULM took the lead early in the second, A-State took the lead for good. A 13-yard touchdown run by Brian Snee. Foreman and Jones split out to the right. Stevenson and H-back on the right. Handed off to Snead. Huge hole left side. He's going to go in untouched for the score. And A-State is back on top with 6.31 remaining in the second quarter. And you're up 17-14 to 14 at that point. Then later on in the first half, Coach Jones said it was one of the biggest plays of the game. A screen pass to Johnny Lang. Lang in the backfield with quarterback Blackman. Lagman dumps it off left side, caught by Johnny Lang. 15-10, Johnny inside the five, he's into the end zone. He was able to get in from 18 yards out, and you're up 10 at the half. So it's 24-14 going into the second half. Johnny Lang scores again. A one-yard touchdown run makes it 31-14. And then ULM goes on this 13-play drive, eat up a ton of clock. They get back to within 10. And then it's Johnny Lang again with the biggest play of the night. Kickoff is away. Johnny Lang will return it from the two. Out across the 10, 15. Johnny across the 20. He's across the 30. Running left across the 40. Johnny Lang across midfield. Lang across the 30. Go, Johnny, go. 10-5. Touchdown, Arkansas State. It's a 98-yard kickoff return by Johnny Lang talked about Johnny Lang in the open 254 all-purpose yards he's now leading the nation in that category 187 all-purpose yards a game he's the Sunbelt special teams player of the week but I thought as cool as anything out of all those stats he had a rushing touchdown a receiving touchdown and a kickoff return for a touchdown first player in the Sunbelt to do that since a guy that you and I saw <laughs> way too many times, yeah. T.Y. Oh, Hilton yeah. of FIU did it back in 2010. And it's a Mark Taylor special to dig that up on the fly like he did Saturday night. That's right. And it got me the, uh, I, I, and look, I got a T.Y. Hilton retweet out of this deal because yeah, I quote tweeted Mark's tweet about that stat later. And like, look, if you play in the Sunbuck Conference and you're on a list with T.Y. Hilton, you did something right. Because no I mean, doubt that guy it. was... Uh, a terror, I think, is the word uh, used to describe it. I mean, he, I mean, it just—you just cringed every time he had the football in his hands, no matter how he got it. Especially against us. Yeah, he had some huge games, and we certainly remember that Hilton heave that mm. he had one night in Miami. But uh, 
Back to Johnny Lang, the 15th player in the FBS to accomplish that feat with the rushing touchdown, receiving touchdown, and kickoff return touchdown since 2000. And, oh, by the way, the other running back for the Red Wolves had a really good night, too. Brian Sneed was able to get in the end zone one more time to make it 45-28. to 28. Hunt split left, Jones to the right, Stevenson and H-back on that right side. Brian Sneed. We'll take the handoff here. Up the middle, inside the five. Sneed fighting for the goal line. He's in. Touchdown, Arkansas State. I love the fact that it's almost game by game. Like, if you sat down and you showed somebody that didn't know anything about this team one particular game and say, who's the best running back on this team? They're going to tell you it's Brian Sneed. But then you turn around and you pop in another game and say, well, watch this game, and then say, who's the best running back? So it's that lane kid. And the beauty of it is that Neither answer is wrong. Uh, it really, they're quite a tandem. Johnny Lang is like a different football player to me from a year ago. I mean, oh. you know, he was a nice return guy last year, right? And you were real sa- felt real comfortable with him in the return game. Return, he's just yeah. a full-on weapon now, and, and Sneed does what he does. They're a really, really nice one-two punch. They're roommates, too, and they've really turned into really good friends, and that's something that Butch Jones – Made happen as soon as Brian Sneed got to campus. Say, I want you guys together, and they've really pushed each other. But Brian finishes with 17 carries, 74 yards, and a couple of touchdowns, and certainly don't want to overlook the performance from James Blackman the other night. He was fantastic. 25 of 32 for 254 and a couple of touchdowns, and he just continues to be so efficient every single week. The ball never seemed like it was at risk. I mean, I just, yeah. this team may have to do it a different way than you're used to seeing Arkansas State teams do it, right? But, I mean, it, it's effective. And, you know, you got a team that's way up there in the rankings. You talked to Coach Jones about it in time of possession, yet they put 45 points on the board. So, if you could do both those things, that's pretty good. You know, we had a really nice visit last week with somebody that is going into the Hall of Honor this Friday night. Enjoyed that chat and had a lot of great comments about uh, our interview with Corey Leonard. But, you know, there's another quarterback going into the Hall of Honor this weekend. We're going to talk to him when we come back here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are thrilled to be joined now by one of the four inductees going into the A-State Hall of Honor this Friday night. It's former A-State quarterback from 1997 to 2000, former Indian Cleo Lemon. How you doing, Cleo? Doing great, man. To hear you say Indian, that brings back a lot of memories right there. You are a former Indian at Arkansas State, and kind of want to talk about your journey to Arkansas State a little bit, and coming from Greenwood, Mississippi, how did you uh, end up choosing Arkansas State as far as the place you wanted to be? Oh, wow. It's a pretty long story. Uh, my recruiting process was, you know, not traditional. Pretty much was a late bloomer. Um, didn't really get on the in-state 
universities here in Mississippi until my senior year. And then I had um, the opportunity to get recruited by Mississippi State, um, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, and then I had um, HBCUs in the state that were recruiting me as well. But I had a, a close friend of mine, former teammate uh, in high school, Sherrod Gideon, who was playing at Southern Miss. Um, he had done some incredible things as freshman to sophomore year. And um, I went on a recruiting visit there, man, and, and really enjoyed myself. I enjoyed the university. I enjoyed the school. I enjoyed all his teammates and players on the team. And I thought that's where I was going to school, honestly. I, I really thought that's where I was going to end up. But it didn't work out that way. Ended up talking to, to Sarge, Coach Saunders. David Saunders was on the staff at Arkansas State. And, um, man, we crossed paths at, at my school. He was in the area recruiting. And um, he got me on a visit. The rest is history after that. But, honestly, you know, I thought I was I was going to Southern Miss. Um, you know, I'm just being transparent about mm-hmm. how my recruiting broke down. So, I'm guessing uh, your first visit here was your first time in Jonesboro, huh? First time. First time in Arkansas. Okay. I had never been to Arkansas. Yeah, I'd never been to Arkansas. Uh, first time in Jonesboro. I had family that, that was in Memphis. So I used to go to Memphis all the time, but never been to Jonesboro. And once I got to Jonesboro, man, I just I just fell in love with the city, fell in love with the campus and fell in love with the people. When you left Arkansas State, when your career was over, you were the all time leader in several categories, including passing yards, completions and touchdown passes. You're still third in passing yards, fourth in touchdown passes all time at A-State. But when you look back on your career, kind of what stands out when you think about it? I would say the people. The people I was fortunate enough to, to cross paths with. Great teammates, you know, still have a lot of strong relationships from that time at Arkansas State. And then the coaches that I was able to play for. Just some really huge names in the, in the coaching <laughs> yeah. business. Um you know, we had some strong, we had a strong staff and um, all those guys were very helpful for me. And I will be realistic to tell you, I didn't have a uh, NFL path. I was just so honored and happy to play college football. I really wasn't even thinking about the NFL. It never crossed my mind. And I was like, all right, NFL, you know, that's not for me. But talking with those coaches, man, and, and having those conversations and them pushing it to me and for me to start believing it and them telling me I had an opportunity. I think that was probably something that pretty much lit a fire under me to kind of have a chance to have that opportunity that I thought would, would never come for me. All right. So there's all kinds of good stuff to talk about. We will. So don't get too mad at me for kind of going the other way first. Joe Hollis. I mean, Arkansas state hired the offensive coordinator from the Ohio state university. The guy that recruited Eddie George, the guy that recruited Orlando Pace, Mike Tomlin's on that staff, and Randy Fickner's on the offensive staff, and Keith Butler's over there running that defense. Why did it not go better than it did for those guys in their overall time at A-State? Well, that's a great question. I, I, I couldn't tell you one pinpoint you know, answer, um, but I know with through my experiences, my first two years, we weren't in a conference. Um, we were independent. You know, I don't know how it worked with the scheduling. <laughs> we played a lot of heavy hitters, man. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> we played a lot of guaranteed games in them days, man. So I know for a fact, not being in the conference, you know, the team not having a conference championship to play for. And it's kind of, we were just happy to be out on the field playing, man. You know, a lot of us 
was just happy to be there, happy to be recruited, happy to be in a, a really good program, you know, and, and being treated the way we were. Feel short on the wins and losses. We had some talent on the team. Probably didn't have a ton of depth, uh, but at the same time, we still had good players that made plays and, and really did some good things during our time there. One of the names that Brad mentioned was Mike Tomlin, an assistant on that staff. What do you remember about him? And is it surprising at all that he's gone on to have the kind of career he has? Not at all. Uh, from day one, Coach Tomlin was, you know, he was an alpha male. We all looked up to him. And we knew, honestly, he was going somewhere huge. He was a great communicator. He brought a lot of energy. He was just a guy that, that stood in front of the team. And, and, and when he talked, people listened. And what I do remember is just him being encouraging, just him being the type of person he is. He was, he was very confident. And that confidence rolled out into his players. And that, that was just his style. And then, too, we're both members of the Kepa Eversai fraternity. So when I was thinking about joining that fraternity, when I was a freshman in college, man, I went to, to Coach Tomlin and had a really great conversation with him. He told me all the, the good things about joining that fraternity, and, and that's where we bonded. And you know, I ended up joining that fraternity at Arkansas State, the Theta Mu chapter. And it's been a great experience ever since. But at the same time, to get a chance to reconnect with Coach Tomlin, um, I did some coaching interns. Throughout the NFL, was able to reconnect with Coach Butler, Coach Finkner, Coach Tomlin, and just to see those guys hadn't changed, still great guys, just still, you know, fun-loving guys. But, you know, with the Steelers, they was about their business, and they won a ton of games together. So that's what I remember, you know, with my time with, with Mike. You look at – and I know we've got it down here in our notes, but, I mean, you play with a couple of wideouts that – so something happened, right? Either guys like Lenny Johnson and Robert Kilo, they either helped you put up quarterback stats that are still way up in the all-time stats, or you helped those dudes become two of the top receivers in the history of the program. I guess maybe a little of both. <laughs> no, nah, they, they made me look good because I can tell you, starting as a freshman in college, coming out of Greenwood and, and trying to figure things out, I didn't know the base offense. I I was just out there kind of fly by night, just trying to make some plays. And one person, well, two people, honestly, because before I think Kilo got there my sophomore year, but my freshman year, it was, it was Lenny. It was Ron T. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Every time I dropped back to pass, one of those guys would get the ball. <laughs> and if they didn't get it, <laughs> Lamont was going to get it. So I knew, I knew where the talent was. I knew who could make plays and, I knew for a fact if I didn't know exactly the concept that we were running, I knew people I could trust to throw the ball to. Well, hang on, but before, because you, you touched on something that I want to get you to hear about, because, you know, you probably a little under-recruited. You said it's kind of got late in the process when people got on you. So the last thing I would think a guy in that spot thinks is going to happen, he's going to walk in somewhere and be a four-year starter. How'd that come to be? How'd you become a freshman starting quarterback? Well, when I came into camp, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know who was on the roster. I didn't know I didn't know anyone, right? I wasn't familiar with Arkansas high school football. So I, I didn't know no one on the roster. I think maybe Jock, Jock Walker. He's from Holly Springs. We had a mutual coach that connected us. So I knew Jock. Uh, we were in the same recruiting class. But other than that, man, I didn't know anyone. So I didn't know what to expect. And when I got to Arkansas State and um, made it that first fall camp, and start making some plays and the game wasn't moving as fast as I, as I thought it would. And um, I just started building confidence and started making some throws. 
And I, I'll never forget, I called my dad, forgot what week it was. I called him. I said, man, I can, I can do this. Like, I, I, can, I can take somebody's spot. And he was like, boy, if you don't shut up, sit over there, red, <laughs> red shirt this year, and learn as much as you can, and then you'll be ready to hit the field next year. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. I think it's going to happen this year, man. I, I, I just got a feeling something's going to happen because I'm, I'm learning the plays. I'm, I'm making some throws. I'm getting confident. I said, I, I just feel good. I said, it, I might get my number called. And he was like, man, whatever, man. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Hung up the phone. And, <laughs> and i never forget when I called him again, I think it was Louisiana Lafayette, uh, the Raging Cages. I think that was my first start. And I called him and I said, hey, look, man, make sure y'all make it to the game. I said, I'm about to have my first college start. He was like, what? You about to start? I said, yeah, man, I'm starting this next game. He was like, all right, you know, I'm going to be there. We all going to be there. So, you know, go out and do your thing. But he was surprised just for me to have that opportunity. But I always felt like I could could get out there and make some things happen. Well, you made some things happen. A lot of things happen during your time at Arkansas State. We mentioned some of the records you set while you were here. But you ended up having a dream to play professionally. You went undrafted after your senior season, and it took a while for you to land somewhere. Kind of talk about what happened right after your career ended at Arkansas State. That's when the, the wild journey actually started. So I was fortunate enough to get invited to the, to the NFL Combine. And, man, that was a great experience. That was the Michael Vick drafts the LaDainian Tomlinson trade and all that. So that was in that draft. That was the 0-1 draft. So to be in that combine with all the quarterbacks coming out that year, um, I just remember a long line of quarterbacks, great quarterbacks. And, man, the, the combine was awesome. It was an awesome experience. But I just – when I got out there, I was just as tall or taller than everyone, just as bigger, bigger. My arm was stronger than most guys. And I didn't know any of this, right? I, I just didn't know how I stacked up against the rest of the competition. And then once I got out on the field and started making some throws, then nobody know who I was, right? I'm just a small school guy. I'm there throwing throwing some balls around. They kept, you know, people come up to me, ask me, man, where you from? And start making these connections with other quarterbacks throughout the country that had done some amazing things. You see them on Saturday, major networks playing football, major conferences. And now they're asking you who you are and where you're from and, and, man, I was just out there just happy to be there tossing the ball around. But, um, unfortunately, um, I failed every physical at the combine and found out that I played on a partially torn ACL my senior year at Arkansas State. Huh. So that entire senior year, I had on a brace, and my knee was jacked up. I knew it was, I knew it was bothering me. I knew it wasn't, it wasn't 100%. I knew that for a fact. But to find that out at the combine, and my, my agent called me after the, after the draft to tell me you failed every physical. You got a couple of teams that passed you. They want to bring you in for minicamp and got a chance to sign with, with Green Bay. So I was going up there with, with Favre and another Mississippi guy. And I was excited about that opportunity, but they failed me. Well, once I got there, they took a closer look at my knee, did some more MRIs, did some more testing. Uh, they just said it wasn't safe for me to be out on the field. So that ended, right? That ended my NFL dream right there. And then talk about taking a while. It took a while. So I had to come back to school, talk to Hollis, told him the situation. He sent me to Dr. Andrews. I had already talked to some people with Green Bay, and they said they, they recommended Dr. Andrews in Birmingham. 
told him that's where I wanted to go. Arkansas State took care of it. I came back to school and I was a student coach. So I go from being a four-year starter to being a scout team quarterback um, that next year. Now, wait a minute. You were playing scout team quarterback after you had graduated. After I had finished, I had surgery. I was rehabbing on my own. I came back (laughs) and I was playing scout team quarterback that that following season. So that that was part of my rehab. So I told them I wanted to do something. And the defensive coaches asked me, hey, like, well, if you're here, you're going to be around. Why don't you help us out with scout team and do some scout team stuff? So we started doing some scout team stuff. I was doing the coaching thing. And he's like, look, just take the reps. Like, you just control it. You run it. It's yours. Get your rehab in. Do what you need to do. Make your throws. I know you still want to play. And that's what I did. They gave me that opportunity. I tossed it around, you know, during the week uh, versus the first team defense. And that was the way I was able to stay in a groove, stay, you know, in shape. And, you know, from that point, Worked my way back into the league through workouts. Um, had an agent that was grinding with me. It, it was a long journey, man. It, it was a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of thoughts about giving up that that dream and for it to pay off and all that hard work that I put into it to see it come the way it did, man. I, I just felt great about it and um, never looked back. Just took off with it. Is that not bad for the team's confidence of- you're running the scout team. I mean, that that feel like that could be that could have a negative impact. <laughs> no, nah, man, those guys are flying around. They was trying to make plays, but if they get a good look, that's you know that's all the coach can ask for, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you finally did get your shot. You played with the Packers, the Ravens, the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Jaguars. Also spent some time in the CFL and the Arena League. And I had heard a story while you were in San Diego. Is it true that you were in the same quarterback room as Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, and Doug Flutie? Is that right? Absolutely. Now, that was some fun. That was a lot of fun with those guys. You're talking about Doug, who's a um, college football Hall of Famer, who was the elder statesman in the room, to say the least. He was he was pushing 40, 42, something like that. And he just knew so much football. So I used to, I was like a, a sponge with Doug. I used to ask him all type of questions. I just pick his brain throughout practice, throughout meetings. And he was just so helpful for me. Um, he helped me in a, in a huge way. Drew was, was also to see his journey with the Chargers. That first year I was there, that 03 season, it wasn't really a great season. I think we finished 4-12. Some question marks about him so he had to go back that offseason put in a lot of work he came back that next year in great shape arm was much stronger and that was the year they drafted philip and then philip came in which philip's first collegiate game was against us so i was a senior in college yep we played nc state his freshman year he was a true freshman starting and we kind of had that connection so me and Phil just had a, a really, really strong friendship. Um, but he came in, man. He was a confident guy. Big smack talker. Just won over the locker room from day one. And then once he got his opportunity, obviously he took off. And then, but just to be in that room and just have as much fun as we had and competed and, and just, man, just share so many memories. It was just a great time. Yeah, you know, that uh, that NC State game was just a little bit before either one of us started traveling for me, about three seasons before I started traveling. So here's the two things I've ever heard 
okay, the three things I've ever heard about that game at NC State in 2000, okay? You mentioned one of them. is Philip Rivers' first start. The other two things I've heard is that it was in a flat-out monsoon. Monsoon. And, <laughs> and, that, and they cheated us something terrible. Oh, my goodness. It was a lot going on that game. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know what they were expecting, but we came out and we were playing ball. The one thing I do remember from that game, definitely the monsoon, but I don't know if you remember Corin Robertson. He was a receiver. Mm-hmm. He was Phillips Rivers receiver. He had a great career in the NFL. He was with um, the Seattle Seahawks, did a lot of amazing things there. Mm-hmm. That was my first time seeing him play. He was the best player on the field, like by far. Phil threw some balls up, some jump balls, and he made some incredible plays in that monsoon. So that's one person from that game that I do remember that really gave us some tough play, man. He he, he played his, his butt off. And if, if it wasn't for him making some of those plays he made, um, I don't think they win that game. I think we come out on top. I think they got us in overtime as well. Double overtime. That. Two overtimes, yep. 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 So it, it, was a, it was a close one. Had an opportunity, but, you know, they, they just made a little bit more plays than we did. So you go back to that 98 season, your first full season as the starter. Minnesota beats you guys with a field goal at the horn. Uh, then you, you come back, you got to go to LSU after that, come home and beat Missouri State. And then you get to go to Hawaii, which is a trip all in its own right. But then you go out there and you guys toss a shutout and win 20 to nothing out in Hawaii. Yeah, that was a great time. So that Minnesota game, um, I want to say – they beat us by a field goal, but I want to say in that game, we moved the ball up and down the field. I think we probably missed four or five field goals that game. Mm. So we missed four or five field goals that game. And lost and by up, three. And we lost by three. So we Lenny had a great game. Lenny was making plays all over the field. He was doing he was doing his thing. I think we had gotten JJ Washington back. JJ was another great receiver out of Simi Valley, California. He was another guy that made plays for us. So we, we had some good things going. We just had some bad breaks, man, and, and couldn't finish that one. And then the LSU game, I do remember that. <laughs> that was that was the game. Um, Booger McFarlane, you know, turned my lights out in that game. <laughs> that, was probably, <laughs> that was probably one of the hardest hits I've ever had uh, playing college football. Booger got me that night. But, you know, that crowd was crazy. That was a great environment, Death Valley. And really enjoyed that time there. And then that Hawaii trip, that was that was our best best trip by far, being at A-State. From start to finish, it was first class. Did some great events during the week, some team bonding. Um, did some things that, you know, for us, being in Hawaii for the first time, experiencing that, hitting the beach, then going out, playing a, a great game, getting that win, and, and that flight back was a lot of fun. So, yeah, those, those were some great memories. Uh, during that time right there. And, then, and you went out there several days early, yeah. it sounds like. We did. We did. We I think we probably uh we probably made it out there Wednesday or Thursday. So we were there for a couple of days and, and 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 had some fun. Man, it was it was like a bowl game. Never got a chance to experience a bowl game, but I would say that was probably our closest experience to a bowl game. You mentioned this guy's name when you're kinda of talking about going to the combine, but your junior season TCU comes in here. They had a, a, I think, a pretty decent running back back then. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll never forget again. I know I keep saying I'll never forget, but after that game, um, I think we, I can't remember the score that game. I think we might have lost twenty four twenty one. They they got a three point right. win. So twenty four twenty one. After the game, my mom says, 
Yeah, that running back for them, he's he's going to be a number one overall pick. He's going to be the best player in the NFL. <laughs> I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I've never seen anyone like Mom that. called it. <laughs> mom. And mom is not – she wasn't – all in the football. She was scared. She was scared for me. She didn't. She didn't even like coming to the game. She thought I'd get. I was gonna get hurt every game. So she was always nervous. <laughs> but she watched that game. And when she told me, you know, and I knew, you know, after that game, LT was special. But when my mom saw it, I was like, okay, she sees something because he had a really great game. I want to say Jonathan Adams, J.A. had a great game. I want to say Lamont had a great game. That was just some fun. Came up short in that one, but at the same time, man. That was a really good team. And TCU was on the way up then. That's when yeah. they were starting to take off with, with what they were doing now. Because by the time you guys went to their place, the next year they were ranked 18th in the country. Yeah, they, they were. once we got to TCU that next year, it was a totally different team. They were fast. They just made plays all over the field. And they just looked like a power five team that next year. Well, you played all the way up until 2011. I know you made a couple of coaching stops after that. Tell us what you're up to these days? Yeah, so I, I started coaching. I really enjoyed that. That was, I'm a son of a coach, so that's always been in my blood, just to develop, mentor, and just coach them up. And um, enjoyed that. Did a lot of moving around, did a lot of changing jobs in different areas, and my kids got older. And um, now I'm, I'm, you know, I, I stopped coaching, made that decision to change careers, and now I'm a territory sales manager for PepsiCo. So, hmm. So now I'm, I'm home, I'm raising kids, you know, family man and work during the week. And now I'm taking them around for all their activities on the weekend. So that's where I'm at with it right now. Well, so, we, we couldn't be more happy for you going into the Hall of Honor. Tell us about speaking, the call. Speaking of, um, speaking of little man, it's him just walking in from All school. right, who is this? <laughs> C3, say what's up. What's up? Hey, C3. <laughs> A special guest on the podcast now. I got to ask, so tell us about getting the call to get into the Hall of Honor. What was that like? Oh, that was amazing. You know, for me to have the journey and kind of be a journeyman, really never had my feet planted in, in one spot for too long. I've always been on the go. And now to kind of submit my feet in Arkansas State football history, that's special to me. And when I got it, I just felt honored. I felt humbled. I do know my era of football, we probably, you know, weren't the most successful, you know, but at the same time, a lot of great guys that came through, a lot of really good people coached during that time. And for me to be able to represent them going into the hall, it's not just me, right? It's my family, it's my former teammates, it's my former coaches. And to be able to represent them um, I think it's an honor, you know, and I'm very excited about it, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, Cleo, we appreciate you taking time to join us today. have really enjoyed this visit, and, man, can't wait to see you on Friday night. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me, and, man, we're looking forward to it. Man, my family will be there with bells and whistles on, ready to have some fun. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. That's Cleo Lemon joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. 
Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Really busy time right now as far as not just football, but all of A-State athletics. Volleyball team dropped their two matches in Lafayette over the weekend. I mean, these matches, if you just go look at the scores, like just heartbreaking. It was a sweep on Thursday night. And I think the first two sets were like 27-25, 26 And then Red Wolves win the first set you know, in, in the second day on Friday, and then you get same thing, couple of 25, 23. 20, it's just like every set was just a play away from being different. They'll be back home Thursday at 6, then play again Friday at 6 as they host South Alabama. Soccer's playing well. They've won three in a row. Coach Dooley's team with a one nothing victory at Georgia Southern on Sunday. They're now 5-4-2 and two overall, 3-1 and one in league play. This is one of those weeks where they're playing two matches. So they'll play at home against the Cajuns on Thursday, then go to Monroe to take on ULM Sunday at 1. Cross-country teams with a good showing at the Chili Pepper Cross-Country Festival in Fayetteville. Over 30 men's and women's teams. The men finish 8th, the women finish 10th. It's pretty good because, I mean, you know, you know over there, if they're going to have a track event, they're going to draw a big-time field. So to go over there with that many teams and, and farewell. Because with this thing, a lot of times, you know, you base it on the number of people that kind of had PRs, personal best, and a bunch of uh, a bunch of our cross-country runners, you know, had their career best times over there on Friday. As we're recording this, the men's golf team is in Colorado playing in the Mark Simpson Colorado Invitational, University of Colorado hosting that. But men's golf going to be hosting a tournament Monday and Tuesday, the Bubba Barnett Intercollegiate at Ridgepoint, those same two days, next Monday and Tuesday. The women's team will be hosting the Lady Red Wolves Classic at Sage Meadows. Yeah, that's cool. Two golf courses in town, each side of town hosting a, a college event next week. Lone home event for both teams, so you can really... You'll double up on golf, head out to Sage, watch a little, get to Ridgepoint, watch some. If, if you like golf or you play golf, it's fun to watch college golf because they're all really good. And it's just fun to watch people do stuff they're good at. The football team looking to be really good at what they do coming up on Saturday. They'll play their second straight home game, taking on a really good James Madison team. They've been fantastic at the top of the fcs level right there with north dakota state for however many years now we were hoping there'd be a little bit of a transition period but they've hopped right into the fbs they've won their first four games this will be quite a challenge coming up on saturday with the ap and the coaches if you took it on down they'd be 30th in both uh, getting plenty of votes in both polls this week just outside the top 25 and yeah, good team coming in here that you thought, you know, even when we were at Media Day in New Orleans, some of the folks talking about James Madison said, well, not even just the transition, but they thought that they were making it at a point where 
kind of their roster is at a point where maybe they're going to be a little bit down. No, they're <laughs> no. not. They're not. They blew out Texas State this past weekend, forty to thirteen. And I mean, they fired the opening shot the the first weekend. I mean, they took that Middle Tennessee team that went and won at Miami, and they turned them every way but loose. Forty four to seven in Murfreesboro. So yeah, they made quite the statement opening week, and they've kept it going ever since. But would be quite the feather in the cap of this Red Wolves team if they could hand James Madison. Their first loss on the FBS level. Kickoff at 6 in Jonesboro on Saturday. Our coverage on the EAB Red Wolves Sports Network from Learfield starts at 4. That game will also be televised on the NFL Network. Yeah, it's a little different. Yeah, they're picking up a handful of Sunbelt games this year. I know they did one in Lafayette not too long ago, and I think they're going to be in Mobile next week. For a South Alabama game, but so uh, it's, it, different, mean, you know, avenue to watch. We need uh, we need our fans to put on a show, right? I mean, uh, the new network. It's not like with ESPN Plus, where you know you're a subscriber, you can hop on a watch, but you're gonna get eyes on this on the product that may not usually get on it because you can just be you know kind of scrolling to your channels and land on NFL networks. So hopefully, uh, you know, our fans will respond. Weather's gonna be unbelievable and uh it sure was this past week yeah i mean let's yeah it, it was awesome and uh it was getting the football weather right they're even talking about whether or not to pull the heaters out for the folks in the north end zone this saturday for later in the game you're looking at uh right now how about uh sunny with a high of 69 on saturday how about that and of course uh this is the second game in as many weeks and really this past Saturday was your first game kind of running mm-hmm. the show in your new role in the marketing department. So kind of talk about how that went on your end. How's the game different? So there's, an, uh, I'll just say this, I'll just take up any time that would be used on a rant because there's not one. And we'll talk about this because, and we can do this at great length later on down the line. We do, you know, one of the things people really liked last year was kind of lifting the curtain back from a broadcast side. And now we can do the same thing from a, you know, from a game management yep. side too, but it, it is different. Like I'm sitting there in this in this control room or in this booth, you know, up headset on, watch and the games in front of me. But there were times like the the thing is different. There were times that I had to look and see what the score was, and I knew we were winning. I'm sitting there watching the game, but it's but you're having to watch it a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the first time in 20 years I've had a job where, to some extent. It's not that the game is secondary, but you're having to react to things that happen. You know, in in in, in those timeouts, you know, you're having to plan for the timeout as opposed to time in. So th- that part's a little bit different. I thought it was okay. I mean, it's kind of it took a little bit. You got to get your sea legs under you, so to speak. But uh, it, it was. Uh, I think we got in a groove eventually, and uh, you know, you start then you go through it all the way once. And now you start knowing. You know, maybe we need to move this from here to there, or maybe tweak this and do that. And so hopefully it just continues to evolve. And then uh, I'll spend the rest of our time here talking the end of the third quarter. Ring of fire. <laughs> yeah. So ring of fire one. Uh, I told you last week when we did this podcast, it was before the voting closed, and I predicted that the winning song would have under 30% of the vote. And that turned out to be the case, which is great because it meant – I mean, we had four good choices, and everybody was back in their song. That's the good part. Now, if there's a downer to that, it's all of a sudden the song that won had 70% of the people not vote for it. <laughs> and that was going to be the case. I mean, it was obviously going to be the case any way. 
one of the things Coach Jones really likes or really and wants to have in that third quarter break is a, a football hype video that their video people put together. So what we did, and Dustin Sullivan, our friend in the College of Media, helped pull this off too, is we took Ring of Fire and Swag Surfing and remixed them basically for the first time ever. Yeah, I'm and it was just thinking and it, that's pretty safe. And it was one piece, like right that was that was one video that played. Beginning with Ring of Fire with the lyrics up and going straight into football's hype video. Now, spin it forward. I opened the door, which is fine. I'm completely fine that I opened the door on my social media to a lot of chatter on Sunday. Every time I looked up, I'd missed double-digit Twitter notifications with stuff bouncing around, and it was all talking about Ring of Fire. Let me tell you about Ring of Fire. In the week or so, 10 days, whatever it was, that we took suggestions, comments on social media, it was the song that had the most suggestions. It was the song that more, the most people commented, Ring of Fire, Johnny Cash. When we switched it then to those top four, moved it to a vote, within a couple hours or so of the voting going, it had gotten to the top spot. And although the voting was always tight, that song stayed in the top spot. What was in second, what was in third, what was in fourth, at some point in time all changed. What was in first did not. Went wire to wire. It, it basically did go wire to wire in a really, really tight vote. But it was more than a couple hours into the voting, I never got sent an update that Ring of Fire wasn't in the lead. Had I just been picking, here's some scoop for you. Had I just been picking, and, and, and let's say if I just took all the suggestions and said there's not going to be a fan vote, I'm going to look at these suggestions and I'm going to pick what the song is. I would have chosen Ring of Fire. A lot of people made a lot of compelling cases for it with the Johnny Cash tie. And here's the thing. Like, of the other four songs, or the other three songs, right? I mean, obviously, I like Garth Brooks. I love Garth Brooks. Friends of Little Places have been okay, but there's no way to kind of make it unique to you. Uh, that Black Keys song, a lot of people, the, you know, Howling for You, and obviously there's a, there's a, the tie with the title, and there's a great hook, and, and you'll hear that song sprinkled into some games. To me, it wasn't a great fit in this spot because there's not a lot of words in that song. Right. You want to sing along. And, so. and then Hungry Like the Wolf would have been okay too, right? I mean, it, because of the title and you had the doot, 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 doot and all that. So, I mean, it would have worked. But Johnny Cash, tied Arkansas State and just tied the area and just the overall, just the vibe of Johnny Cash. I, I personally wanted Ring of Fire to win. And if it didn't, it didn't. I was going to roll with whatever did. But I'm, I'm glad to see it. And We'll get another chance to sing it this Saturday. I will tell you, yeah, we will. And I know, and I was asked about it, you know, because the thing I promised is that the song that won would play the first time. And past that, we'll see. But we're, we're going to roll with this one. And, and what I, in all the comments back and forth, right? It was the people loved it, people hated it. I mean, you're going to get the extreme on both, right? Sure. But the thing I liked right in the middle was a number of people said, you know what? It wasn't even the song I voted for, but don't change it. Let's go with this thing and let it take root. I got texts like that, got tweets like that. So folks just found me all into my work email. And get said, behind it. And said, if you're going to get this thing to work, don't be changing the song. Go with it. So the thing that was interesting is there were some folks that kind of missed the assignment from the standpoint that these, these sing-along songs aren't made to get you to run through the wall. That's not it, – it, I mean, right. the best one of them of all time is Sweet Caroline. And who's, who's that ever made you want to go hit? <laughs> That's true. That's not the deal, right? It's the flip side of that is I think you could take any song, and if you got a stadium full of people singing it, it's going to bring the juice. 
I think if that crowd Saturday night, if there's one time where everybody in that crowd stood up and sang happy birthday, it'd be the most exciting happy birthday you ever heard. So it's not solely on the song to bring the energy. It's on us to bring the energy to the song. And when that works, Dixieland Delight is, you know, doesn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up until 100,000 people are singing it. I'd love to hear 30,000 people sing Ring of Fire. Me too. This Saturday. Me too. Let's make it happen. Hey, I want to thank Cleo Lemon for joining us once again here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We'll have a whole new episode for you next week. Thanks for tuning in.